0: The Rural Health Voice, episode 106, Doulas. Welcome to the Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What are doulas and how can they improve maternal health? Shay Richardson, lead chair of the Danville Maternal Health Task Force, joined me to discuss how communities can better support pregnancies. Well, hello Shay. Nice to have you on.
1: Hey, Beth.
0: How are you? I'm doing good, and I was looking. So you're the the lead chair of the Danville Maternal Health Task Force, which is part of the Danville Health Collaborative. So, bigger picture, what's the collaborative?
1: The collaborative is a group of organizations um, that are working on similar issues and kind of like a hub for all of them to come together to be able to solve those issues. And why was the Maternal
0: Health Task Force created?
1: So, it was originally created in response to a project that was done A student from UNCG named Danielle DeShazer, she had a project that she had to do, and it was a photo voice project, and she had to collect stories about the maternal climate here um, and, you know, people's experiences with maternal health in Danville, or the Dan River region in general. And so after getting so many responses and realizing, like, hey, it's really an issue, like, the Maternal Health Task Force was birthed from that. So we could tackle some of those issues that we were hearing. And what
0: does the task force hope to accomplish?
1: So there's a lot of different things that we're hoping to accomplish. Of course, we are wanting to do some policy changes, not only just on a local level, but also on a state level, but definitely starting within our own community. But also it's a community so that, you know, a lot of People's responses was that you know they felt like they felt very isolated, like on this journey, they didn't have a lot of support. Um, so another piece is also just being a support system for moms and other providers and things like that. I'm kind of like bridging the gap between, um, everybody.
0: And in addition to the task force, my understanding is that you are a doula and a lactation specialist. Basics: What's a doula?
1: Well, a doula is someone that offers emotional support, advocacy support, physical support, just support in general for the laboring family. Um, so not just the mom, we offer support for the the whole family unit. Of course, our focus is on the comfort of mom, but um, we just kind of help strengthen that that support system. So I work with families from the moment they find out they're pregnant, um, even past postpartum. And I honestly feel that once I become a part of your village, I'm a permanent part. And so, you know, even once our contract ends, I'm still checking in on you and all that, that kind of thing. So very much, uh, it's a very supportive type of role. Now, You
0: mentioned advocacy support. Why, why is that needed?
1: A lot of people typically, when you think of a doctor, you think of, you know, this is the person that is the specialist. They're the expert. They know everything. And so a lot of people tend to give their power away when it comes to their own health. But I like to kind of reiterate the fact that you are really your primary care provider before your doctor. And so it's really important that you're asking the appropriate questions and that you're understanding, you know, what's going into your care plan and things like that. A lot of people aren't asking those questions and they're just kind of going along with everything. And sometimes it's not always in the best interest of the, the patient. So kind of just focusing on making sure that the care is patient-centered and not provider-centered.
0: Sure, because there's so many things your body does that the the provider can't necessarily see or feel. The, the provider, you know, can't tell how much pain I'm in. The provider can't tell exactly how something itches. Exactly. So we've, we've got to communicate that information. Exactly. So you talked about advocacy support, but do you think that most people know what a doula is and the benefits of using a doula?
1: No. No, and that's why a big part of uh, my work is also just spreading awareness because a lot of people often mix me up with a midwife and think that I can deliver their baby. Just getting that information out there and letting people know what their options are and why they need a doula uh, because a lot of people also don't look at it as something that they need. And it's very interesting to see, is like when it comes to like childbirth and things, you know, we don't really put as much research and time into preparing for that process as if, you know, how, if you're going to buy a house or you're going to get a new car or move to a new neighborhood, you often do a lot of research, you know, you learn everything you can, you get support, things like that. But when it comes to childbirth, we kind of just say, hey, I'm going to go with the flow and you end up going with somebody else's flow, really.
0: And you talked about the benefits for the family,
1: but what about healthcare
0: providers, do you think they understand the benefits of working with a doula? Are they resistant to working with doulas?
1: From my experience, in the beginning, I felt a lot of resistance whenever I would come. I literally had a provider that every time I came, he he'd be like, oh my God, here she is, here she comes again. And, you know, it wasn't until recently, like after a birth, he actually gave me a hug and I was like, okay, we're getting somewhere. Um, and I think at first, people are really kind of afraid that like, you're trying to take over their job and not really seeing you as a support person. And sometimes they feel threatened by your by your presence. But, you know, you, we're really on the same page. Like, we want the best outcome for this person. It's really to help. Like, we help to decrease the, the length of labor. You know, like I said, have, helping them to bridge that gap and ask those questions and get on the same page. I think it just helps to, like, develop trust and things like that. So we really are working together. But I think at first, when they see you, they don't really know that. And they just kind of feel threatened by your presence.
0: And you're also a lactation consultant. I was thinking over the years, state and federal laws have changed to allow breastfeeding in public. But do you think it's universally accepted now or is there still work to be done?
1: Well, first, I have to correct you. I'm a breastfeeding counselor. Um, not ah, not yet okay. a consultant, but that is something that I am working towards. But as a counselor, um, but to answer your question, I do think that, well, I'm not even just thinking. We've seen in the numbers that more people are initiating breastfeeding, but it's just the duration of breastfeeding that is lacking. A lot of times, um, a lot of moms don't have the support that's necessary to continue the journey. And so we have a lot of work to do when it comes to lactation. But like I said, it's been really wonderful to see in the last couple of years how it has increased as far as the initiation rates. And I think that's a lot to do with in a lot of the shortages and things like that. A lot of moms are giving it a chance where before they, you know, they just would choose formula off the top.
0: So what types of support do moms
1: need? So you, they need informational support. For one, a lot of times they've never taken a breastfeeding class. Um, they don't even know what to expect. There's no anticipatory guidance. There's no, no. They didn't really know like that. That's even an option. Like a lot of moms that I work with, and I when I teach them the class for the first time, they're like, "Wow, I had no idea that breastfeeding was this important. And I had no idea that these were the benefits, or you know, they never even thought of that as an option. Because I mean, if you think about it, when you watch movies and stuff, it's always someone's usually feeding somebody with a bottle, it's very rare that you'll see someone breastfeeding. And so for a lot of people, this isn't even a thought, like it it doesn't even cost their mind to even do. So once you, you know, let them know, Hey, this is an option and it's an accessible option that you can do that. That's where it starts. So that's where the interest starts and you can actually, you know, prepare them for breastfeeding. Now on the other side, they also need information as far as, you know, what to expect in the postpartum period. Um, and then there's a lot of support needed as far as like a lot of moms are having to go back to work, you know, at the very, you know, most six weeks. But a lot of moms are going back even sooner than that and not knowing like, hey, I can still continue to pump while I'm at work. And, you know, these are my rights and this, this is the law. Like I can actually, you know, take a break to pump and I don't have to. It used to be where you you just you couldn't take a break like you were allowed to. But now the law has been passed where. You know, they can ask for the time they need um, in order to do so. So I think what could make that a lot better is if women have more time or just, you know, people in general have more time to be able to stay home with their babies. So, you know, more paid time off or even just those breaks being paid because a lot of times they aren't required to pay you for those breaks either. That's really important, just that support on that side of things, because um, a lot of moms I've worked with, their journey has been cut short due to having to go back to work and not being able to keep up. There's a lot of a lot of factors, um, honestly.
0: Do you feel there's still a stigma against people breastfeeding in, in public? I, I know growing up, it was like, well, you know, you, you have to make sure you're properly covered and, and things like that. Does that still exist?
1: Yes. I, I will say in certain spaces, it still exists i've gotten both but i've gotten more positive feedback than negative but i have actually had a woman come up to me and say like i was gross for breastfeeding a toddler and he was too big to be still in the breast um so there are some people that are still ignorant to breastfeeding and the benefits of extended breastfeeding um but for the most part like a lot of moms or a lot of people come up to me and tell me you know great job and know that they're inspired to breastfeed and things like that so I think I think by breastfeeding in public it actually it it sparks interest in those that may not even think of that as an option but also you know instead of covering up it allows people to see breastfeeding and realize that it's a normal thing it's a normal part of life and it's not something to be shamed about and so you know I don't I know when I first started, like, I would see people stare a little too long and things like that. But I'm sure it was just a lot of interest. as like, you know, I'm, there's, there's really full-grown adults who have never seen someone breastfeed before. So it's, like, very interesting to see. Um, so, yeah, mm-hmm. I, think it's, I think it's getting better.
0: Yeah. Well, and you talked about it being normalized. But then you also talked about breastfeeding classes. Isn't breastfeeding something that people should just know how to do instinctively? I mean, every mammal does it
1: yeah, the only thing with that is there are so many different complications that can happen that prevents it from being just an instinctual thing. Nowadays, there are a lot more interventions and things like that during this whole process um, that can prevent you from having a successful breastfeeding start, whether that's you know being induced too early or having a cesarean and doesn't trigger you know, the hormones to let your body know that you've actually have the baby, things like that. So sometimes there are things that prevents that from becoming something that is more instinctual. Like you have to, you know, even, even, you know, when it comes to like cooking and things like that, like anything that you do, you know, you learn, you learn things. You might, it might come easy to some, it might not for some others, but it's just a learning process.
0: And I think anybody, no matter what you know, there's always something else to learn.
1: Exactly. Because I learned a lot on my journey, even as a counselor and breastfeeding, like I learned a lot. And so a lot of it is through experience as well.
0: So I heard that you also do placenta encapsulations. (laughs) And I'm going to admit, I have no idea what that is. Please fill me in.
1: Oh my gosh. Like this is one of my favorite parts of a birth. Like I tell people all the time, if I could just encapsulate placentas for the rest of my life, I would be so happy. Placenta encapsulation is essentially, um, I don't know if you you know that most mammals, if not all of them, do ingest placenta after the birth. So that's a practice that was lost over time as we become more civilized, you know, things like that. But people are kind of returning to that in a more digestible form and that's in capsules it's a process of you know steaming the placenta dehydrating it and then grounding it up into a powder and then filling it into capsules and so that's something that mom would take and it 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 has a lot of benefits and it it can help with your mood it can help with your milk supply um, all types of things so it's it has a lot of benefits to this day i've only had one mom that actually ingested it like completely raw with no peels like she did a, a smoothie and she said like it was good <laughs> but um, most people do the capsules um, but that is like one of my favorite things um, to do because I also I'm also very spiritual um, when it comes to these types of things and so if a mom has had like a you know traumatic birth um, or anything like that I'll I even do Reiki too so I'll do a Reiki you know session with the placenta to help, kind of cleanse clean some of that traumatic energy and infuse it with some more light and loving energy so that when they do ingest it that they you know feel those vibes that I'm sending them so um, it's a it's a very healing practice for me as well
0: Sure. And I think, you know, for some people who are not used to the idea that this may sound gross, but when you think about it, your body knows what it needs mm-hmm. and it's going to crave those nutrients. There's a, a reason why other mammals do this. Yes. Yeah,
1: like your body literally grows this organ just for this purpose. Um, and then it, it after that, it has no more use um, for a baby. So that's where mom can, can take it in. And so, yeah, a lot of people, when they get over the When I think of the idea, you know, usually the ones that want placenta encapsulation, they they reach out to me. I don't have to convince anybody. A lot of times, you know, those that aren't privy to the idea, they're like, "You what? You're like some people think of it as like cannibalism, but it's not. Like I said, all mammals do this. Like they eat the placenta after the birth because, like, it's essentially it's like eating liver. People eat liver and things like that. It's so it has so much iron and everything in it. Mm-hmm. Like you're loo- you losing a lot of blood in that process of childbirth, so you're able to put some of that back into your body. So it's 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 a beautiful thing. Like it really is.
0: Love it. Thanks for filling me in on that. That's fascinating. I'd never heard of it. Yes. How did you first become interested in maternal health disparities?
1: The first time I sparked interest was doing an experience with my mom when she was pregnant. And I actually ended up having to come up to the doctor's office because her baby had passed. And after her sharing her experience, like, no, nope, the doctor didn't even tell her. Like, they sent somebody else in later to tell her. And so just even not having the transparency enough to communicate what was happening to her, not knowing she knew something was wrong, but they didn't, they wasn't communicating what was wrong. And so that's when the first bit of interest sparked. Um, but when it become, became like full fledged, like I I would say, honestly, during my, my own journey, like that's when it became like a fire. Like that's when it became like, this is my calling. Like this is what I'm supposed to do for the rest of my life like that's when it really like pushed me to drive, like something has to change for multiple reasons, because I had a really great experience as far as my birth is concerned. And I know a lot of it has to do with what I know, but it was a lot of things that, you know, could have been better during the pregnancy experience. And, you know, my whole thing was I wanted women to be able to experience the things that I did experience, the good the good parts, because I had heard so many horror stories while I was pregnant. Like nobody was really sharing with me the good stuff. And it, it caused a lot of fear in me. Like the very first thing my mom told me when I when I told her I was pregnant it wasn't congratulations. She said, Make sure you get life insurance and I was very confused by that. And that's when it really like hit me, like this is a problem.
0: Wow. Yeah, that that's I don't think of, of being pregnant and needing like insurance in the same sentence, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So VRJ is proud to have received a grant from the Centers for Disease Control, and one of the activities we'll be implementing is training people to serve as doulas, lactation consultants, and community health workers in the Danville area. Do you think improved access to those types of services could improve maternal health outcomes?
1: Absolutely. Like I said, for one, when you think of, like I said, when it when it comes to the way that people communicate with their providers, there there's almost like a separation between, you know, this is the expert and I don't really know anything. There's not a level of like respect and and like. People don't realize like that you hire your your provider; they work for you. And I think what happens when you have doulas and childbirth educators and uh, community health workers and lactation consultants that look like you and come from the same place that you come from and already know some of these things because they're a part of your community, it just kind of like bridges that gap between the client and the provider. So it allows you to feel more. Comfortable and more safe in that space to be able to voice your concerns and also have somebody that is advocating for you that otherwise, you know, they wouldn't know to do that. So I think that's really, really important for this area. And then, of course, the more doulas that are here and the more lactation consultants that are here, that's how you spread awareness. Because before, literally, I was the only doula in Danville. And so when everybody heard doula, it was like, what? You do what? Who are you? Like, but now that there's more, like it's becoming more. It's 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 been a lot easier because it's like I see you guys and I see this person over here and they're a doula and they're a doula and they're a doula. So now it's like, okay, I keep hearing the doula word everywhere. Who's a doula? What's a doula? Um. And so it does. It helps to also increase awareness. So it's it's really important that we have that. I'm I'm excited and grateful. Do
0: you have other ideas for actions we could? take in the area. In terms of, of improving maternal health, especially as, as related to, to racial disparities.
1: I don't know if there's any way that you guys can help with assisting with mid, getting midwives education training. That would be very helpful. Also, maybe, like, like I really enjoyed the forum that we had. The only downside, I wish that there were more providers present. And so maybe something that is specifically for birth workers um, and providers in the same space so that, that was more on a professional level and they feel more comfortable coming um, so that we can kind of voice our concerns and also kind of have a, a shared space of, we can hear one another and see what's going on and kind of try to figure these things out together. So maybe like facilitation for some other types of forms or um, events, and things like that. Because that, that's one thing that I will say has been the hardest part for this area is getting the right people at the table. For one, we only have two OB offices in the entire um, area. And so a lot of them are very overbooked, understaffed, overbooked. And so a lot of times they don't have the time to even be able to sit down with people to be able to have those conversation. So facilitation is necessary. That's, that will be really helpful. Um, getting helping us get the data, um, things like that, data research.
0: Well, and that leads directly into my next question, which is, if a healthcare provider was concerned about racial disparities in maternal health in their town, what could they do to learn more and do more for their community, or even statewide?
1: Honestly, using self awareness, like start by questioning how do you see things like questioning your own biases starting with yourself and seeing what ways you can improve and then sharing with your team you know once you've done some of that work with them as well because um, I think a lot of times like like I said when we sit down and have these conversations it's it's very little accountability it's all it's often often the time it's like well most people are overweight and it's this and it's that and it's always everything but what it actually is and it's it's frustrating honestly there needs to be some some accountability and, and understanding that i don't, it doesn't matter how like how you think you are chances are you have biases you've been in this practice for you know generations chances are you could be learning some things and you're probably not, you know, doing as much as you could to be, to making sure that you are, you know, providing updated information and things like that. So that's, I think that's, that's how you can help just by, you know, starting with yourself and, you know, figuring out how you can be more educated in your field and be better in your field and, you know, doing some of the work as far as like, you know, just lactation in general. Like, I hear so many different things about lactation. We're a lot of people aren't getting the proper training in that and that's part of healthcare.
0: and of course the first step to solving a problem is identifying what the problem is in the first exactly. place. exactly
1: and if we're being ignorant to the problem it's never going to change
0: so last question question i ask all my guests if you could do anything what would you do to improve health and health care in rural america
1: well what i'm working on currently Um, I'm working to become a midwife. And so my dream one day, my goal one day is to be a traveling midwife. Um, Instead of having people come to a clinic, I plan to make house calls and come to you. So that, you know, leaves out any sort of like I don't have transportation. Um, And so just, you know, I'm I'm really excited about, you know, moving forward on my own journey to doing what I can do in this world and not waiting for somebody else to do it.
0: I love that idea. I I so look forward to you being able to provide that service to people in the community. That's great.
1: Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Like I am, I'm very excited. Um, Honestly, the, the, the biggest roadblock has been the financial aspect of that. It's very much, it's not like a lot of other professions where you can, you know, get a scholarship or, grant-funded and things like that, It's it's been a very difficult journey because um, everything is out of pocket. Um, and so that's something that can also improve in our in our country.
0: Well, we wish you best of luck in your process. Thank you. Well, thank you for joining us today, Roche.
1: Thank you. I appreciate you having me. Like, I was so honored, like, when you asked. So, like, thank you. That's
0: Roshe Richardson and her desire to work with people in need. If you want to be a part of the conversation about rural health, join VRHA at the Rural Health Policy Institute in DC next February. Links are in the show notes. The Rural Health Voice is the podcast of the Virginia Rural Health Association. It is sponsored by the Virginia State Office of Rural Health and underwritten by the National Rural Health Association.